podcast festival. I was hoping that you pouring the beer was close enough to the mic, but I, I think, think it's, so. I think it's too late now. I'm a pretty silent pourer, you know? Wow, we're just starting off this late evening podcast with the dignified sounds of a Narragansett going into a glass for some reason. <sighs> Is that a Bluetooth speaker that I've spied on your little center table? It's been here since... Wait, oh, center table? Yeah, over there. Oh, That thing that looks like a Kong. It looks like a sex toy or a dog toy. Oh, that's a Theragun. Extra large. It's a Theragun? Yeah. Oh, my God. For a second, I thought you were a Bluetooth uh, speaker on the beach person. No. Why would I betray my accusations all of a sudden and i got alarmed because all i could tell uh, you know for the listener this is a kong shaped object but it's too big and it has just a charging port in the top yeah and it's like black and rubberized and Uh i thought oh no this is a bluetooth speaker no 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 that's for like you can like hip roll on it Hmm. so you got a generic theragun the the raw the ray gun no, that's a Theragun. The Theragun. Ragoon? Oh, wow. It's a Theragun branded thing, but it's not like the... I see. Because that is actually quite painful. So does it work well? Yeah. You like it? What yeah. are you using it for right now? Post-run, you get, do a little hip hip rollies on there. Oh, you hit it on the hip, huh? Yeah, and if your back is in pain, you can do a little lower back roll on it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Does it help with Charlie horses? Like, I get Charlie, Charlie horses in my calves quite often, and probably I'd rather would. not. Yeah. You know? It probably would. Maybe it could just Theragun those right out of there. Yeah cool try rolling it wow how long have you had that i got it for my birthday from adam oh wow yeah i was like why did you buy me a theragun what a perfect present for you a made for tv item that you've probably been talking about unconsciously well i wanted i i saw him make a note after i was like "Ooh, i I would kill for a theragun you know you saw him make the note yeah wow that's not very "Mm, sly adam no you got to take these notes later i do the same thing i have a notes i have a notes app that's like up banking that for a gift later Uh uh-huh but uh yeah you got to just remember it because usually i speak in you know metaphors and you know around things sure you know cryptically like a psychopath yeah um but this one i was like a theragun my whole like i was like ooh, my legs hurt i need a theragun to blast my blast my chicken thighs out see i guess i don't know that much about it but everyone always says they want a theragun but to me i I get it confused first of all with theranos and i start thinking about elizabeth holmes so it reminds me of a scam Mm, no and then it just seems like the shake weight or something where it's Mm. like a goofy item you would find on qvc that there's no way it works i mean it shakes this entire room when it's on like the fourth setting well geez i wonder what the neighbors think you're doing between yeah, the five I'm kids upstairs and the Theragun down here, just poor Cynthia's getting you know, it from all angles. She's yeah. basically living in the Great Canto Earthquake of 1923. <sighs> okay. Well, what I do, I put it in the in between the couch cushions and then just run my back over it. So it, the it, <laughs> wow. I know that sounds terrible. So you use your $900 couch as a holder for the Theragun. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> while you maneuver your way over it. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm. Why mean, don't you just get a swing already? I mean. But you want no, a room no, with a Theragun? <laughs> no, but it, like, if you like have like a pinched, like I pinched my nerve once, uh, like a week and a half ago, and I was like, oh no, I've made a huge, I did a, I did an oopsie, because hmm. I wasn't used to like, you know, you've the shape a, of you, boxes. You did a job. Yeah, I, I made a huge mistake. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, it's so pinchy, and I just like shoved it in couch, and then was just like, I think it'll work, and it, it got right in there and just jiggled it loose, and I was like, oh, I'm better. Wow, it does work. Wow. So, you know. Well, great. They can pay me to be that, like, spokesperson of, like, we paid him, but he did actually use it, you Mm. know. Like I said, you and everybody else, man. I don't know. It worked. I mean, I don't like to. Have you ever used the, like, jackhammer one? No. I found it to be wildly painful. Like, it was just someone punching the shit out of my shoulder, and I was like, nope, don't like it. No. Yeah, I don't know if I would like that either, but some people like that. They like a rough massage. I used it directly in, in my like shoulder, my trap, because mm-hmm. I was like post-driving for seven hours to P-Town. Yeah. And, uh, one of Adam's friends had that one. I was like, okay, let me try. And I was like, all right, get it away. Oh, boy. But, so. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do that while you're on the road. You know? No, when I parked and was done. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I was I was thinking, you you know... You're a grandma driver, so you're pushing 63 yeah, uh-huh. on the freeway, yeah. and someone's there gunning you. That's just a recipe I for would ju- I would veering probably just into die. the wrong yeah, lane. No. Yeah. 
No, but you no, can I also like, like hook that. that one like in your shoulder, and it will actually work like that. Oh wow! Have you ever thought about putting your iPhone on it, like those old school uh, phone holders that they used to have in offices, so you could just stare a gun your shoulder while you're having a nice chat? No, because then chat. all anyone would hear would be like. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. There's construction outside. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Hey, you know, I got a free foot massage at work the other day. Ew. And uh, I was told I have very supple feet. I tried to do a funny. I tried to make a joke. I said, ha, 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 after it was over, ha. Huh. So I Why bet, did you get a foot massage? I bet you can tell I work on my feet all day. And she was like, actually, no, I can't. You have very supple feet. Did you get a pedicure sponsored by Boop Gallery? Uh, yeah, well, they they did a health fair. Oh. And all of my coworkers are curmudgeons, so nobody wanted to participate in the health fair. Mm. But I said, you know what? I'm, not, something. I'm yeah. not above this. This is free. I'm going to do this. And I had some time at the end of the day, so I did it. And there was a lot of services on offer, but the only things I had time to do were the foot massage and the Reiki. Reiki is bullshit. It's not bullshit. I felt great. It actually reminded me a lot of Ulrika's sound baths. It's like a miniaturized version of a sound bath. And if you're willing mm. to give yourself over to it, it does feel good. And, you know. They were just holding hands. There's no holding hands in like Reiki. holding a hand on your head. Yes, yes, and they, and they rub like little like lotion things on your forehead, Ooh, and I never they noticed that. take tuning forks and they move it around your head. Ooh, and no, that's not. They move crystals over you no, and that's stuff. Not, no, it's very hippy dippy. That's a different kind of Reiki. I'm used to the one where they just two people do it. One person holds your feet, one person holds your head, and they channel their energies. Huh. Well, I've never. I'm not that familiar with Reiki, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the canonical version of it is, but mm-hmm. this was definitely the version that can be done by one Jamaican woman uh, in a work environment. So huh. if it was, you know, if there was some addendum to it. Yeah, I think then, you got the. Or abbreviation, rather. I think that that's probably what I got. But I liked the Reiki fine enough. Mm. I really wanted to do the reflexology, but I didn't have time. That was just another version of massage, but for your neck. essentially or your joints or whatever i ran out of time though but the foot massage was great um it was weird i don't know if you've ever gotten a foot massage i certainly haven't outside of uh you know a kiss and tell type of context but uh (laughs) no one can see the look on will's face it's it's cracking me up um but i've never gotten one like out of place and it sounds like you hired a hooker to give you a foot well it wasn't that type is what i'm saying it wasn't that that's exactly what it wasn't. So, okay. Uh, anyways, so it was weird. They like will wiggle your feet a yeah. lot of the time. It's like basically, it's a lot of like grabbing your calves and like shaking yeah. your feet and your legs. I don't understand what that's supposed to do. It's magical, but you know, it did. It did work. Have like, you ever had a chair massage? No. Ooh. Like at the mall? No. No. Like at a sharper image, you go and you sit down in the thing. No, I'm not saying jump in a Brookstone chair. Oh, that. No, yeah, like that's what you I know. Heard. You need a five foot one, like, you know, unknown Asian ethnicity woman (laughs) to like really just take her elbow and go to town. Well, all right. I mean, you're Listen, you're accusing me of being cryptic and weird. That sounds like you were off to Saigon for some sex. Tourism. No, I, I was in, you know, a storefront <laughs> on Vanderbilt. Um, it was 30 bucks, 30 minutes. And she's just like, OK. And then. My stupid ass forgot to take my glasses off, so it's me in the like you know toilet seat chair, just like jammed into face because she's putting all of her body weight into the knot in my neck, and I'm like, mm. oh god, it hurts so bad, but it's kind of good. Yeah. And then when they do the they do a little bit of leg, they're like, mm, fuck your legs. Yeah, the the, the, the jiggling and the shaking was strange, but it, it you know it felt good, and it and it was nice to know that I have not workman like feet. She did spritz her hands off at the end because there was a little bit of sweat on there. This was a socks on massage. I don't think they let you go fully off in the workplace, but. Oh, go get get a pedicure. I don't know about that. I don't like the idea of people fussing with my nails. No, they'll scrape the, you know, layers of calluses off your heel. Oh, that would be nice. I would really like that. go to town. You know, I don't have bad calluses on the heel. I get them on my big toe and then on the area underneath my pinky toe. I don't know what that's called. Oh, the pad of your foot? That's where mine tend to form. Yeah, the ball of your foot. Yeah. The heels are fine. Because your shoes are too tight. Is that why? Yeah, because remember you're wide. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did tell me yeah, that I'm wearing those time. Nikes and those Adidas with the teeny tiny toe boxes. You know what? And that makes sense because that's both sides of my foot at the widest point. That's why you have... Oh, God. That's why you have lady feet because you have all that EVA. EVA? The f- material composite that is the outsole of your shoes. Oh. 
So, you know, you're not wearing a hard shoe. Yeah. Like some people. True. Hard shoes all day long. Um, so you're getting all that bounce and support so you'll never have plantar fasciitis. What is that? Your heel hurts. Oh, okay. Because you're wearing hard-ass shoes. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. Wow. My, my, wh- what is a foot doctor called? Podiatrist. A podiatrist. You're the resident podiatrist on yeah. this podcast. I get yelled at for saying that someone in my life has pointy feet. I'm like, look at your pointy feet. Well, can you, <laughs> I, you know, someone justified to me why a podiatrist is spending like $150,000 over, you know, six years, eight years on student loans when they could just go work retail for three or four and they would know all the same stuff. Yeah, same shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, because then they just send people out into the wild of like, buy different shoes. And then you have idiots like me going, I'm not a doctor. No. Do you have a, bran- a Branek device? No. Do you know what that is? Is that an outdated technology? No, we use it. Oh, it seems like a 1960s thing. It still works. Oh, okay. That's a pretty good gauge. Yeah. But that doesn't mean anything compared to like what's out in the world. You're just saying you can eyeball it. Yeah, and then you just go, oh, that's my measurement. <laughs> and then you go, how are, how is this lasted? True to Brannock? Question mark. And they go, no, it's a little narrower than that. Oh, okay, okay. Or it's a little wider. Mm-hmm. You may want to size down. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still or need the up. expert on hand to like dead reckon the situation. To be like, no, the, the last... ruler is a little bit inaccurate. Well, no, the ruler is true. The last is, you know, the last. Isn't this fascinating? It is to me, but I'm sure it's boring the listeners. It's, I to mean, tears. it's it's boring to me because, it, you know, it did it forever. But like, you know, it's same shit with like fit models and fuck fuckery like that. You're like, oh yeah, fit the fit model, but like in reality, that's like just a hanger, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Wow. Like, and people are like, oh, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Just you'll know when it's right, and you you won't know when it's wrong unless someone tells you, you know. That's why I would always just like people are like, oh no, I think this fits, and I would just take my hand in a claw and then just on their feet, and I'm like, nope, too small. Try again. <laughs> And they're like, what? I think it's fine. I'm like, nope, you're being cheap. Try the other one. Oh, wow. Well, you know, some people just get married to what they think they are rather than what they actually are. Kind of like me. I would like to think of myself as a slender-footed man. So I'll you no, know, you shove my foot. foot into those ten and a half Adidas that are way too small. And I'll just live with it. It's fine for the length. But your feet, you know, again, if it's between you and the ground, spend a little more, spend some more time. You know what? Yeah, that's a good... Because Heuristic all of your podcast. all of your body mass is weighing upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my shoes just turn into like. Do you remember like fat guys in high school with like the Osiris D threes that oh, were basically sideways? Bursting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. my shoes eventually become that because uh-huh. I wear them out so aggressively and I refuse to spend more than forty dollars on Amazon for problem. more. You know, Nikes come in wides, right? I do know that, but Nikes are already difficult to size and difficult to ascertain on my budget, so. Oh, We're going I, with the off-color Adidas. I just went to the Joy, that is the Skyview Mall, with the Nike outlet in it. The fuck is that? Where is that? In Flushing. I've taken you there. Oh, okay. Maybe maybe I've been there. Oh, yeah, you did take me there. Yeah. That's right. I know that place. And, ooh, it was a field day. A true field day. Why'd you go there? You went there today? No. Oh. Went to go to Shabu Shabu, mm. which is hot pot, but you get to like go get your own shit and make a plate to cook, you know. So it's like a salad bar. Oh, it's like Mongolian barbecue. Kind of, yeah. Except but you it's do hot pot. you do the work, yeah. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. Is it a chain? Yeah, there's two of them. One in Boston, one here. Oh, okay. That that's barely a chain. Yeah. That sounds acceptable. Not unlimited meat though. That's not good. Why not? Unlimited fish balls. Eh. You know what? I'm not the biggest fan of the fish balls. I'll be honest. I can I can tolerate a couple of them as a treat, but you got a jalapeno fish ball? I don't really want a lot of those. I do. The lobster one was bad, um, but, you know, it was fine. Anyway, the outlet mall, why'd you yeah. go there? Because it's in Flushing, and I was like, well, we're here. I paid for parking. Did you find anything good there? Why, why'd you bring a, it up? I had a little haul in my hand, and then I went, I don't need any of this. No, Well, that's you know, the trap of the outlet. That's how they get you. I was like, I just have this in my hand. I'm hoarding all of these three pairs because they're forty nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. and I need none of it. In fact, the reason that all of that stuff is there is because nobody needs it. Well, that's yeah. how it ends up at the outlet in the first place. Was, if people needed it, it would have sold for retail. Well, one was so like this here beautiful we are. burgundy pair. I was like, ooh, sick. Are you talking Nikes now? Yeah. Just a burgundy pair of what, like running shoes? 
No, like were these lifestyle, some Janowski like, Nike SB no. signature models? It was a mm, it was a pair that I had in white that I sent back to them because the outsole separated and started to fart after a week. Mm, that's no good. I don't I like said, it when shoes make noise. I could feel the bubble, mm-hmm. and I said, "No, no, you're going to take that back." Um, but the the heel had this weird angle, so as you step down, you could feel it like clomp down, and I was like, "This is fucked up." But you know, well, again, that's how they end up there. Yep, bad, bad make. That's what we know. Mm, it's fine. But like dealing with the hell that is that place, I was like, I don't really want to no, be in here any longer. I have to go. You know, you you had you made me have a PTSD flashback to, the oh line. no, there's like a terrible line. This was during COVID when we went. Yeah, and there's just like an insane line of Chinese people, basically Chinese teenagers. It was so many resellers just like stacking shit up, and, and then like, yeah, and then everyone's running around in there, basically like ripping everything out of boxes and just throwing, throwing the refuse throwing. All, everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really intense there. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I gotta go. I can't be in here any longer. I did find that wonderful pair of uh, kill shots there. That's where I got oh, right, those, yeah. the white kill shots. Those are great. I miss those shoes every day. In fact, I you think can buy them again. Uh, you know, not not for full price. I can't. $80? That's too much. Okay. That's too much for a pair of shoes. Shoes should be... I think everything... You know, I'm having a hard time adjusting to inflation, as we all are. But I, I'm, you know... It's going down, by the way. Eh. The stripper index says, we're back, baby. Really? Oh, that means the recession's coming, probably. No, it's over. The, the, no. The same come on. Stripper, you're, you're talking soft landing now? The same stripper who said that uh, we're in for it recently tweeted, like, oh, no, clients that I haven't fucked since... 2021 they're back baby really yeah huh we're on an upswing oh interesting so okay you're saying bull market right now Mm -hmm. at the top of the market you're saying don't worry we we ain't seen nothing yet spy Mm -hmm. to 600 by the end of the year wow okay well you know i don't know if i trust you but you know we just had a whole after show that i published the other day that was about financial decisions and and trying to coach you through it so the fact that we're talking about a stripper index and whether or not inflation has cooled Mm. i'm gonna take that under advisement well and do a little research listen i trust i'll get back to the listeners next week sex work is valid work and also valid reconnaissance on the state of the market you know what sex work is valid reconnaissance ask the boys during world war ii there was a lot of propaganda around this. Okay. What a great segue for me to talk about E&W Toll's Pacific War Trilogy that I've been listening to oh, in audiobook uh-huh, format yeah. for like two weeks, mm. just crushing through it. Hmm. I don't actually want to talk about it unless you want to hear about it, but I, you mean, know, I think everybody's heard it all before, I the Pacific like, Theater. Sure, yeah. Mm. I feel like we kind of understand the idea of what a Pacific theater is. And we're like, oh, is that a new one that opened, you know, in downtown Brooklyn? And mm, we're like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No. You know, it's not on, it's not the one by Carroll Street. Yeah. It's not that Pacific theater. No. Yeah. It's a theater full of horrible atrocities. Well, you know. You know, to the quote, thing. To quote, you know, to quote the Jap, you know, bracket the Japanese. They know what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's a great. That's a great quote. They know what they did. <laughs> they they know do what they know did. what they did. There, there was a street, like a food street fair, over the weekend that was mm. Filipinos, Chinese, and then the, like one block set, and then ja- Chinese, and then Japanese, and then you know both the Filipinos and the Chinese were like, "Are we going to fight them later?" I was going <laughs> to say, yeah. I mean, that's two. That's two against like, one. But that's hey, two you know, full streets going. You know what you did. You know what? Historically, they did beat those odds, though. It was, it was, you know, we had to bring some Western boys in there to give them what for, but, you know, so we'll see. But the China today is a whole nother beast. I don't know. I don't know if the, the noble Japanese could hold their own against the China of today, mm. but, you know, we'll see. Mm. I don't know. You know, I'm learning a lot from the book. It's a, it's a very well-written uh, narrative history. I like narrative history because I'm a simpleton Oh, and it's well-researched, but, you know, it flows pretty well. Oh. And I like getting into a little more detail than something like a hardcore history, say, oh. but not so much detail that it loses your interest. And you're like going to take a nap. Yeah. 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 And I like that it has a lot from the Japanese side, too. Mm. I mean, you joke about people not knowing the the Pacific theater in general, but it is true that like I think it was, it was in some lecture I watched on YouTube that for like every book published on the Pacific theater, there's something like 10 published on the European theater. So it is really like underknown because the the the, the euro cucks had very little to do with it. The British kind of got rolled real quick. Well, so did the Dutch. 
The French were Vichy at the time, so they were kind of laying out of all the mix. The Russians didn't really get involved, so it was really just mano a mano, you know, the U.S. versus the Japanese. And so we fixate on it because you, we get all these, like, iconic things. Of course, Pearl Harbor, the flag raising at Iwo Jima. You know, there's lots of, like, famous moments. MacArthur. Things you can you can picture in your mind as an American, but people around the world don't really know about it. Huh. So, uh, you know, Ian W. Toll, the most recent book came out in 2020 so i learned about this entire trilogy recently but it's taken 12 years to write and hmm. the one book is relatively recent i don't know it's pretty interesting it's pretty good I, i'm i'm in the last like five hours of it right now and it's like almost 100 hours <sighs> cumulatively good god so uh i can't even keep up with my goddamn podcast well here's the thing we talked about it on a recent show i'm, I'm not feeling podcasts right yeah. now i've been letting shows that i even like just kind of like go by and i'm like they're just gonna pile up over there if yeah. i feel like listening to them i'll get to them if i get too out of date i'll just delete it. i don't know i don't actually care mm. the audiobook way better especially for me right now because i'm off this week so when i go to the studio there's nothing i like i don't like interacting with my phone even remotely at all while i'm there mm, fair. so there's nothing better than seeing oh i'm only at hour uh 12.5 of 37 for this book so i can just plop put this on and, and yeah. when my headphones die that's the only time i need to pay attention to mm. it six hours later i'm finally like oh what? maybe i should take a break from You're this getting six hours of battery life yeah the pros are way better Damn. than the other ones mm. and they and they seem to actually last i get solidly five to six out of these bad boys with the noise canceling on noise canceling off they'll last like 10 damn yeah hmm hmm I think that's what the slightly bigger case is, is all about. Is that going to be my little treat for myself? You should get them as a treat. It's a huge upgrade that is uh, well worth it. Huh. Although the noise canceling function, as you get used to it, I probably wouldn't use it. You will use it. Yeah. You'll definitely use it. Uh, as you get used to it, uh, it loses its effect oh. because your ears get attuned or to like the subtlety to, of it. Or they're like, I want to hear. So. I don't know. Hmm. When I when I turn off the noise canceling, I'm like, oh my god, the world is a cacophonous hellscape. Oh, yeah, probably. And when I turn it on, I'm like, it's still too loud. I wish I had something that canceled even more. Mm-hmm. I, I think when these finally give out on me or if I lose them or something, I am going to go full over the ear headphone guy. Apparently, they're very easy to steal. People are getting them lifted off their heads left and right. Uh, that would make sense. Somebody riding by on their bike. Yeah. Some scrupulous youth. Just boop. Looking for a little bit of profit. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're kind of ugly. They're really ugly. I'm not even necessarily talking about the Apple ones. Yeah. I might get Bose or something like that, but I think I think full over-the-ear noise canceling is what I need. You want to be that guy walking down the street, though? Here's the thing. I can't use those while I'm on my bike. Yeah. I don't know if I would be compelled to use those. Obviously, not at work. There's like a lot of situations where the earbuds are definitely going to remain a mainstay. Yeah. But the over-the-ear thing, like for in the studio or for on the subway, I yeah, guess. I don't want to yeah. hear shit in either of those places. I'd okay. rather just not. Just get a pair of corded ones with a little dongle. Yeah, maybe, but now I've, you can't you can't hook up a cord to a goddamn device these days. No, that's right. So, mm. you know, and cords make me feel like an animal. I definitely want cordless ones. You could ones. be Gen Z. It'll make you feel young, you know? I don't know. Anyways, man, yeah, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I, I, you got anything on your mind? Because I'm just in World War II mode. Oh. I mean, I have been steeped in this. I've been doing nothing but listening to this series of books mm-hmm. and then watching YouTube lectures by this author or similar for, oh. like, weeks on end. Oh, so you haven't been watching 90 Day Fiance UK edition, which is what I've been doing? Wow, that's what you've been doing. I mean, y- you know, the trash that I've been consuming has been friends. Mm. And then, uh, you know, I catch a part of a real housewives app here and there um, also there was the last episode of and just like that yeah do you want to take your 90 and recap it because which i did it watch stupid. you watched it too yeah um here's the thing i feel like that was like a week and a half ago hmm. and i, I I'm, I'm struggling to week. remember now the the thing that was crazy about it to me was aiden being a little bitch well he comes back and he's like please wait five years for me and ostensibly sarah jessica parker like She's like going a, to do that? She's not going to do that. I don't know. No. She was never in it for anyone but herself anyway the whole time. I mean, I would not let a man in that apartment on Gramercy. Why not? What's wrong with that? Men are gross. I don't... Hmm. I, I'm not sure you've ever, like, lived... Well, you have lived with women before, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might be forgetting. Oh, it is worse. 
it's not necessarily worse. There's a lot about it that's better. They're better at upkeep, mm. uh, but their natural uh, just shedding of long hair and you know use of toilet paper and things like this, <laughs> it's much worse. You know, I had to acquiesce to Scott recently. I've been fighting the good fight of trying to keep uh, decent I'm toilet sorry, paper what? in the house. Yeah, I finally gave up, man. I'm sorry. I, I fought. The, I fought the fight for a summer, and now I'm done. I can't do it anymore. But uh, girls use so much goddamn toilet paper that you have a bidet. Not only was it, it doesn't matter. Not only was it getting expensive for the both of us, I was getting complaints. And I'm talking about Trader Joe's quality toilet paper it's here. Fine. I'm not talking yeah. about like you know. I'm not buying anything extravagant. I'm just buying things that are fine. Not the, like, Charmin extra thick. But it was going so fast, it wasn't lasting long, it was getting expensive, that the last time I had to buy toilet paper and it was my charge, I said, you know what, fuck it, I'm just getting the Scott, I'm getting the Scott rolls of d- tiny, tiny, thin Bodega little sheets. paper? Basically, yes. It's, I, I didn't realize that there's a step down from Scott. Oh, yeah, it's called, like, Excel or something Yes, there's terrible. some yeah. generic name of toilet paper, but, oh, boy. So now we're on the Scott, and you know what? I just got to live with it. And the only reason I'm even thinking about it right now is that I'm home a lot more this week. Oh, so right. normally this doesn't affect me so much. Right. When I originally bought the Scott, I kind of thought, you know what? I've lost the good fight, but you know, it's a Pyrrhic victory for her. She's the victim of this. Hmm. It's, it's, not, it's not a problem for me. How often do I really go to number two here? You know what I mean? Hmm. Not that you're much. You're just using it to dry, though. I don't know what you're using it for. No, you as bidet user. Uh yeah, I mean there's some there's still some wipe involved in the bidet, man. Yeah, drying. I mean you have a chicken meatball with a scrambled egg for breakfast. Y- you know there's trouble. This is the type of thing that I'm up to. <laughs> so uh, now I'm home and I'm using the Scott and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I acquiesced to the Scott. This is a horror show. Have a secret stash. I I think I'm gonna start doing that honestly. I I've actually said this in jest before, but n- now I'm serious. I'm gonna get. A couple of rolls that I keep under the sink that are just for daddy. And, <laughs> you know, we can have Scott in the house. I but mean. I feel ashamed that I lost the fight. But, I, you know, you, you got to pick your battles. go to Costco. What do you mean? Get a Costco membership. I don't know. I'm not going to drive down to fucking Bay Ridge or wh- wherever the fuck Costco is. Sunset Park. Just to win the toilet paper You victory. can go get, get your toilet paper and then also go to, you know, Sunrise and get your pre-done sushi fish and then it's a twofer Mm -hmm. oh by the way this reminds me holy shit we should talk about this right now this second because we only have tomorrow to do it and it might be too late are you aware of takasushi have i told you about this place place closing place in queens wait is this the guy who flies to japan twice a month yes oh it's closing yeah yes so i've known about this place for a while because of my distinguished co-worker he gave me the hot tip and i should have taken it way back when i never did uh now there was a viral Instagram post made or some the guy TikTok who talks like this or whatever. Like, you gotta take care of your institutions. Yes. You know, this guy and I'm like, what the fuck? About this place, Takasushi yeah. in Queens, that is closing in October. Yeah. So now this place is fucking overrun. Their Instagram now, which used to be inactive, it was like one boomer post a week of like a misspelled, like got some fish. Yeah. And it would be like the same picture from the week before, and you'd be like, What? Okay. You know. Now they have like a social media presence that's just lines of people all God. the time. Every dinner service, every lunch service. It's like 90 bucks, right? It's a, it's like 150 oh, for omakase, but it's at the quality level of like a 3 or a 400 dollar place. Mm-hmm. This was always their shtick. They just they're not like a fine dining establishment. It's a guy and his wife. Yeah. It's just like very working class traditional mm-hmm. sushi. And now Idiots are going, I'm sure. Definitely. Dingling. But here's yeah. my thing. We're going to hang out on Thursday to go to the mm-hmm. Met. I was thinking, what if we went to lunch there? Papa's pavo until Friday. Fuck. God yeah. damn it. Papa's on a budge. I'm a little pavo, too. Now, here's the thing. I made plans with another couple and Rhi and myself to go to Takasushi. Mm-hmm. Turns out we couldn't get a reservation anyway because yeah, it yeah. had gotten overrun by that point. Yeah. Um, but we were all feeling pavo. Mm. And I was like... This is special enough because this place is closing that, like, I will just pay for it and you get me later. Oh. You know what I mean? 
I, I mean, if you want to do it on Thursday, for that's oh, kind of the way I'm feeling about it. I think if we can get a lunch reservation, literally pay you the next day for Thursday, and you want to pay me back, I would absolutely pay for it in the moment. I do not give a fuck. Oh shit! All right. Huh. Um, I want to go there so bad, and I feel like this week is my last shot, re- realistically, mm-hmm. because you got to get there on a weekday. I don't think yeah, a, weekend a weekend is realistic in, anymore. Yes, oh, they're cool. open twelve to two, and then five to eight. That's how, it. How are we going to do the mat and then that? I'm saying go there first and then go to the mat. Oh. Go at 12. Like, do a, basically don't eat breakfast. Go eat sushi. Yeah. And then go to the mat. Oh. How do you feel about that? That's an interesting proposition. Uh, it, how do you get there? It's tough. It's like in Sunnyside. So oh, I don't fuck. really know. I kind of. Here's the That's thing. A drive. That, here's the thing, though. We. I would be willing to do that if you wanted to do that. Yeah. Or if you wanted to swing up and pick me up and then go there. I think that's the only way. I'm yeah. more on the way to Queens than you. And then we just drive to the Met. We used to do that all the time, drive to the Met. Who Is cares? free parking on a weekday? <laughs> Jesus Christ. If you have to park at a meter, what's the big deal? $4 an hour or whatever. Mm-mm. Not that bad. Mm. There's going to be meters up there. We've done that before, too. You're making a mountain out of a molehill here. Or you just park in Queens and we just shoot across on oh, the, yeah, on the could... fucking oh. 7 and then shoot back over and pick up the car. To go home. Oh yeah, I can still I can still use my mall employee rate and park at the mall. There you go. Ooh. See, we have a strategy here. Hmm. But what I'm saying is, tomorrow, I I'm I. It's hard to make a reservation there because you have to call them. There's no way oh. they don't do apps or whatever, so you have to call them. But they're so overwhelmed with calls right now that if they don't pick up, they just you say don't it. leave a voicemail, um, and you're like, fuck. fuck how do I do yeah. this? So you have to just call them and call them and call them until somebody picks up, which I would be willing to try periodically. Oh, tomorrow. you have time tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And and if we can get a reservation like for the first Seeing first showing, yeah, um, it only take like a half hour. No, it's so fast. Yeah, oh, it's sure, not yeah. a big deal. Oh, we'd be out of there by like one o'clock. For sure. Scooch on over. Yeah. Even yeah. if we have to like bring the car back here, we're still on the Upper East Side by like 2.30. Yeah, which I think would be fine. Oh, I mean, yeah. all I really want to see at the Met is the uh, Van Gogh Cypress and the, oh, Buddhist, and the Buddhist show. I forgot about that show. The early Buddhist art show. Oh, shit. And I just kind of want to go to the Met in general. I haven't been in a while. Me neither. And, and, you know, I was looking at our pictures from Europe recently because the one-year anniversary of that Europe trip is coming up. Can you believe that? Do you know how cheap flights to Paris are right now? Are they really? Four fifty. I've had a lot of coworkers complaining about this, that they're like $700. And Four I'm like, fifty. really? That's really cheap. I was like... Round ooh. trip? Yes. Damn. I was like, ooh, an in and out for three days. I could do that. You could do that. You're too pavo to get a hundred and something dollar sushi, but you're I'm too pavo g- immediately right now, but <laughs> by then... Baby, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. You know, when you're like, ooh, you you miss time the like amount of checks that get deposited, and you're like, ooh, I forgot what living every other week is like, and you only get half of a, a check. You're like, oh, fuck, well. Uh, wow, it sounds like uh, based on this and a prior conversation, somebody needs to sit down with some bank statements and a spreadsheet and like get a budget going. Listen, sometimes you go to a gay bar after a long day of. <sighs> After a long day hooking, and you're like, how much should we pay? Oh, that's still cheap. But, you know. You ever bring the Theragun to the gay bar? I feel like that would be a hit there. Someone will sit on it. Yeah. That's a stool for two <laughs> bottoms. It's going to disappear. <laughs> Anyways. Got a flared base. It won't disappear. Um, wow. Uh, I gotta get, I'm going to get it. We're only a half hour into this. Well, we got to talk about me? that Ben Davis thing. Okay, we're talking real fast. We this are is a talking. Gil- this, is a, this is a Gilmore Girls. Episode. This was a dense half hour. <laughs> I'm like, this episode should be over. No. no okay. We have... uh, well, let me grab another beer. Do you uh, want yours too? You yeah. Want the can, tall I get a, can I get a Gancy? Okay. Thank you so much. This week's episode brought to you by, I guess not Tushy because they're not working hard enough that people have to get Scott Brand tissue. Scott Brand. Hi. Do you know what sandpaper is like? Are you aware what different grits mean? Hey, the higher the number, the closer to God. So 500 grit sandpaper, also fine for ass cleaning. Scott brand tissue. We know you don't care. Find it at your local Home Depot. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's what they sell in the like, 50, 100 pack. No, they do. I know. Yeah. It's for contractors. I mean, those shits are disgusting. <laughs> they need like a, a 120, but you know. They need a roll a piece. It's like a World War II ration, you know? They used to give them out like a pack of cigarettes and two beers every week. If but you're this on, is like your daily one to take to the like Porta John. If if you're a uh, short, unspecified Latino man sitting out of a Home Depot, they just ration you one roll of Scott per day. 
and they salute you okay. and hope you're not a casualty. Okay. Um, sure. Disgusting. Hey, we can talk about we can talk about the Ben Davis thing. It, you know, let's. I feel like we should clarify what that means. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, everyone's favorite uh, Manhattan Art Review, Sean Tattle wrote a thing about negative criticism or negative whatever mm-hmm. negative something and then it got picked up by ben davis of artnet news who you've met have i in grad school he came to the show did oh you, did you go yeah. to lunch with him no i do remember him yes did you go to lunch with him too or no i don't know if i went to lunch with him but i remember talking to him okay uh, maybe a crit, a crit or something or like a group situation i don't know no it was like in the galleries yeah like in the galleries yeah, he yeah, came yeah. and walked yeah, around. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 exactly it was like on a sunday and it was weird yeah, I don't remember anything about him, uh, you know, or what he said. Bald guy? Yeah, I remember him being bald. Yeah. That's actually the only notable thing. Writer of 9.5 <laughs> theses on art, which I started reading and was like, ooh, this is boring. Um, yeah, but he's like a known quantity yeah. in art criticism, right? Yeah. He, I think he's like a respected guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly reasonable. Publishes like twice a month and then just they're long and you're like, oh, okay, good. Um Wrote a thing about like, hey, what what about this idea of negative criticism? Well, so first of all, did you? I read. I kind of skimmed the last part of it because I was running out of time on the subway, and I was like, Whoa. "Well, back up." I I read uh, Sean Tuttle's original essay, "Negative Criticism," like two months ago. Or I forgot. Yeah, six I, weeks ago. I remember ago. like starting it. I don't know if I. Finished I remember it. when it came out because it was really long and yeah. I did really enjoy it. But I have to be honest that I didn't reread it for the podcast. Neither I just read I. the Ben Davis response to it. Yeah. Um. So I don't. It's mostly. It's not a response directly to it. It's mostly a response to the idea of it. Well, I think I think that part of what irked me a little bit about Ben Davis's response was that was that uh, you know. I couldn't remember Sean's essay well enough to like sit down and tell you like why this for tat situation, this tit for tat felt a little wrong, Mm -hmm. but you know, the thing about the original essay was to me, it was titled negative criticism, but that's usually like an editor picks titles, you know? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really about that. In my memory, it was more this exploration of like, you know, what happened to the critical edge in art writing more than negative criticism per se? Right. Like it does rely on the idea that there should be more negative reviews than there are. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of like attention grabby stipulation of it, but it was like a deeper investigation than that. More into the idea of just like, what are the reasons for any edge to criticality being lost, you know? And then it was like, it was also like, really long his original essay was really long long, and it was a deep-seated exploration of basically like his own origins in criticism he comes from music like the people that influenced him and you know the practices and manner that they had and blah 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 so then when you get to ben davis's thing that's like this idea that like well is negative criticism actually necessary or like what's going on here it felt like yeah, you're not really talking about the substance of Sean Tuttle's article. You're just talking about the headline, which I guess in a way is okay. Yeah, that's good enough, yeah. But well, no, he picks apart certain things, which, you know. Certain things, but the things that, that I, you know, Ben Davis's is broken down into three sections. The middle section that I think should have been the meat of it was the most glossed over. Yeah, the thing about the, like, like a uh, review that's, like, hard hitting and efficient versus something that's just like it's like something that's good in its negativity and one that's just wrong or something like that i remember that being uh, well, the section that i'm referring to was uh titled objectively subjective or something like that and it, and it was getting at the idea that like what is really the relationship here uh talking about like where people's authority lies like when a critic makes like some kind of judgment or pronouncement like, how is that formed, and, like, how do we judge that as valid? Mm-hmm. And he kind of glossed over that section. Um, it's the shortest one. Yeah, yeah. W- which I, I feel like is the the whole philosophical substance of it. Like, when we were talking about it together, um, I made a quip about he should read some David Hume, mm-hmm. which is funny because this is the second time in recent days that David, Hume? David Hume's uh, Of Standards of Taste... 
mm. has come up in casual conversation. When I was in Connecticut with Ulrika, we were just discussing something else, and that was my recommendation to her as well. Was like people need to read this. It was written in like 1711, I think. I mean, it's really old, but I think it kind of um, distills and solves this problem of like uh, the difference between like sentiment and judgment. Well, and where I... we're coming from when right. we're talking about that. So that that was the part of Ben Davis's thing that I thought was the most interesting. But he spent a lot of time on the economy of attention like well critics corner gets a lot of attention because sean tuttle writes negative reviews and i don't know it well, got bogged down in superficiality in my well, opinion i'll i'll use this i'll do a, a, a quote thing just for context which well, yeah please these do. are these are a bunch of questions that are not answered which i think the idea of like you know writing is about like answering questions right which i don't think the next thing does um is having a particularly hardened quote internally coherent sensibility a good on its own or is it important that the judgment it renders be convincing to other people if a critic cannot be held to a standard of infallibility can readers ever be justified in saying a critic got it wrong on what basis those are all ending question marks so it's like can you read that one more time a little bit slower is having a particular the okay i'll read the whole paragraph just for full uh i think that in tattle's text the Emphasis on just daring to make judgments of quality, comma, period, comma, is standing in for a theory of what the basis italicized for judgments might be. Is having a particularly hardened, quote, internally coherent sensibility a good on its own, or is it important that the judgments it renders be convincing to other people? If a critic cannot be held to a standard of infallibility, can readers ever be justified in saying a critic got it wrong? On what basis? Okay, you know, I feel like my my response to two of those three queries is basically like, no, the presumption within those three questions is that the thing that Sean Tuttle is saying is that a critic should have like in uh, indefatigable ideology when it comes to their criticism. But I think what a good critic doesn't do is subscribe to ideology. I think the practice of looking at things and the like the diversity inherent in like your internal framing and then the external situation, meaning like your position in history and in time, obviously inflects upon your judgment. So it's not your inher- inherent like ideological consistency that re- that renders a verdict like valid or not. Mm-hmm. It's the standard of taste that kind of exists outside of the flow of you and time that still persists that the, that is the thing worth uh, ascribing to. Does that make sense? Like, I think a standard of taste is kind of independent of an individual author. It does rely on consensus over time. Well, this, I was going to bring this up before, but, you know, I'll tie it into like, so for instance, like someone like Shelley Rip was good at this, about reevaluating his own tastes throughout the years as he saw more and, you know, mm-hmm. softened and, you know, Roberta did that thing where she was like, you know, I used to hate lots of choopy man but now honestly these slap like real hard you yeah know, like you know part of the thing is like a you know at least now is like a very modern self-reflexivity moment that kind of makes you go like oh you're thinking about how you're thinking like and that should be laid bare for the reader of like don't go in just like guns a blazing right. like and i think you know there's a difference between like a taste or you know a, a program with an e that's different from distinction like where you're looking at a show and you're like, I usually hate this person, but this is a banger, you know, like whatever, like you, you can't, you know, if you just make a pronouncement and don't back it up with, you know, data, you're kind of like just slang and taste. And it's very like mid century in its approach, you know? Well, the thing is, I think, I think you have to, I think you have to make a distinction. This is what the Hume essay does so well. I would highly recommend that anybody interested in this kind of conversation around taste read this. Is like there's a distinction between taste and sentiment. Um, taste. I would almost he doesn't do this Hume, but I would almost capitalize it. Like capital T taste yeah. is not a thing that you can swing. Uh, your sentiments yeah. are a thing that you can swing, but when you have taste. 
um, your sentiments are ultimately like validated and backed up not only by your own experience, but like the confirmation of other people's experiences. Right. That's when you encounter taste. Um, it's the way that your like initial impulse uh, and feeling towards something like interacts with a consensus around it that like makes it coherent enough to be called taste. Um, so the mid-century people that you just invoked, like get a really bad rap for saying taste, taste, taste. But I, I think they deserve that bad rap in a sense, because what they're really talking about is something like sentiment. Like a, uh, just a value judgment on good or bad. And it's like, what the, according well, to whomst, you know, you know, I, I, I don't know if their good or bad value judgment carries as much weight as other people ascribe to it. I think that the people that are in Sean Tuttle's words, subjective absolutists, mm. the people that would say basically like let people enjoy things yeah. really get off on disparaging mid-century modern critics and artists because they're so fast and loose with good and bad. Yeah. Um, but really what they're basing their good and badness on is something kind of flimsy in the first place. And if, if you're like aware of that, it's, it's not that interesting to take their pronouncements that, or, or their like final judgments that seriously, but the like invocation is interesting mm. um, in the same sense that like with a lot of art of that period, like the lesser like second generation abstract uh, painters, you know they're slanging a lot out there and some of it's good but it's like the invocation of just trying to grasp in the dark at like whatever kind of interesting sometimes it, so so yeah. their critical judgments like fall on the same page is what i'm saying where yeah. uh, like i don't think it's that I, I don't think looking at them as harsh ideologues is the right way to look at them mm -hmm. which is what people tend to do and what i think ben davis is doing with sean tuttle is saying like He's an ideologue looking for a more negative basis for criticism because the market has made everybody indifferent to a bunch of mediocre work. Or like the that's not it. The media, or I think what's actually closer is like the media landscape is closer to just you know every if you want to have success you have to be a patsy. Uh, expound on that. What do you mean? Like if you don't want like you know to be shunned by every PR person, if you want to like have a long-standing career where you get like you know if you want access you can't just be like this you know pick a show and, and just be like this thing at x gallery was straight up trash you know um you can't like be critical because you're like oh i also want an in i want a seat at the table too which is fair like in the way that people have been professionalized in in every walk like you can't go in guns a blazing unless you are of a generation two back, you know? Well, because I, then it's just like, oh, they're just like that. But if you go in and you're like, this fucking sucks, Becky. Like, this is the problem that I have with Ben Davis's criticism in the first place is focusing too much on the title and like the hot headline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know the guy or whatever, but at, at risk of overreaching, I would say, no, though, like, Ben Davis, you're, like, you're the ideologue. Like, for some reason, you're looking for consistency in criticism where that is never the point of it. And, like, I, I think a careful reading of Sean Tuttle or David Hume or whoever else or just life experience could tell you that, like, um, taste and the tendency towards criticality or even negativity is a way to sharpen and hone a sensibility. That's the point. The point isn't there should be more negative reviews or the point isn't that, like, uh, you need access or whatever. It's like we're talking about something that is uh, more at the core of humanity than like material forces here. We're talking we're talking about something that that is like, you know, about passion and not about practical concerns and and getting the two things confused or like constantly conflating them as if there's no way to separate like having a job as a critic versus being a real critic is like that's your problem dude mm. sean tuttle doesn't have that problem in fact the reason that you're probably like writing a response to him is that he has like made a passionate uh independent project that's more successful than you that's the whole reason to refute it in the first place if i'm being like cynical about it well no, I, I think it's also just a little bit of jealousy. That's what I mean. Like, it's just, like, I wish thing. I could just, like, pan some shit. But, like, you know, I really love caviar. 
I know, know, it's like, not that he really to... loves caviar. It's probably that he really likes having like a pretty meager existence. I doubt Ben Davis makes that good of a living. He probably makes the same amount of money you or I make or somewhere in that range. His tailoring is pretty good. Well, you know, who knows? Da- mm-hmm. Mommy and Daddy's money helps mm-hmm. you be an art critic, too, mm-hmm. if I'm being a bitch about it. No. But like... Yeah, but the thing is, Sean Tuttle's not doing this for money. And he even, Ben Davis even says this in his rebuttal. He's like, well, you're doing this for attention. It's like, well, yeah, because what that's... What else is there it, at this point? That economy is the only way to rise to a level of notoriety where you can potentially make money from it. You're not even guaranteed to, but yeah. you might. Yeah. And it's very rare that things like that succeed. Like, the idea that there's an art critic influencer... Sean Tuttle is the only person like that in the whole world. Right oh, you now. mean the people at Artsy writing puff pieces aren't? Well, I mean, as hard as Artsy or hyper allergic or whatever, like try to make it happen, Becky, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you ha- you have to have something like new to contribute that feels a little bit fresh, and there is somebody doing that. Yeah, shitting on Hannah Gatsby or giving a, a thumbs up because oops, it's the alternative take is not really like doing. No one wants that. No. Like I, I mean. I don't know. I feel like in a perfect world, there would just be someone just like posting the title of a show and then just being like, pass. Like, you know, because attention is not worth your time. Like, if it's not worth your time, you know, there was a part in that essay about like, you know, if you if you as critic have to go see or have to feel compelled to see all these things and you feel, you know, writing about stuff that would not be seen. Like at a certain point, you're going to get to a point where you're like, wasn't worth my time because that's part of the service economy portion of being a critic like you exist to serve the public of like go don't go like whatever like you're you are trying to influence the public and if you are you know subscribing to a very 70s model then you would just go nope not worth it you know right but but you gotta back it up with a wine well the thing is he he um I forget the name of the original author, but he quotes some kind of like old, you know, from the seventies or eighties, like takedown of one critic oh, of yeah. another critic at length at some point that basically says like, I'm sympathetic to this person, even though I don't agree with their opinions because the day in and day out reality of being an art critic is that you have to write about shows. Even when everything up is mediocre, you have to make a choice and the only way to attract any attention is basically give it the Walking uh, Phoenix and Gladiator thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. And the <clears throat> the brutal reality is is that most things are just mediocre and don't rise to the level of like really having an opinion about. Uh, my challenge would be like if you find that to be the landscape that you're in as a critic, um, well, why isn't your weekly column like kind of about that? Yeah. You could write a weekly column that said like I kind of saw another a slate of shows here and you could name them in it and go on little paragraph long diatribes about them for their relative merits and just say like, there's nothing to see right now. That would be kind of interesting. If there were, if there were critics out there being honest about the blandness of the landscape, uh, then we might have something to talk about, but instead you subscribe to the hot take thing because that's the way you maintain your reality. That's how it passes your editor or whatever. I'm sympathetic to them, but it's again, it's like, it reminds me of the conflict between like the mainstream media in terms of politics and then like independent creators in terms of political podcasts or like YouTube shows or whatever. It's like this is the thing they constantly talk about is like you you mainstream people just by maintaining your jobs are first of all like kind of incoherent or you're backing a regime you don't even like. Yeah. And um you're constantly trying to hit at people doing things independently when that's really what everybody wants and needs. Um, so like come over to the light side. Like if mm. Ben, if Ben Davis feels so strongly that his, like his, uh, livelihood is at stake. Well, take the risk that other people with nothing to lose have taken and start a Substack or something. Yeah. Y- you don't need to do what you're doing. You could publish whenever you wanted. If there was no good shows up, you don't publish an article that week. But do you have enough subscribers to really maintain that? Probably not, mm. because you've been taking like a pretty, uh, for lack of a better word, centrist t- tact on everything just to keep getting your $500 yeah. a paragraph. Or yeah. You know, uh, th- this is all like a consequence of 
your choices. Well, yeah, it's like, you know. Critics don't fight anymore, you know? No. Remember those good old days when it'd be a boxing match of people writing too long of shits about stuff? Well, my favorite thing I ever found, I think I talked about it on this podcast one time, was Walter Darby Bannard's just uh, website yeah. because it's just his letters to the editor Love that. as a cranky old man. I mean, he was an art critic and a painter, but he also just like would, if somebody wrote something he didn't like, He'd he would like, Let's go write yeah. a letter to them that said, hey, fuck you. <laughs> you know, and it, nobody even knows or cares about that. It, it's been It's been stricken from the record somehow, except that... You know, his foundation maintains it, and you can go look at it, and it's, and it's it's a better sense of what the vibe was like at a particular time. Yeah. That's what I'm always interested in, you know? Like, I, I'm not so concerned about, like, when I'm reading my World War II book, mm-hmm. I'm not so concerned about, like, what battle happened at what time or whatever, but it's interesting to me to know, like, what the Japanese admiral thought versus what the American admiral thought. Mm-hmm. It, it, you only get one side of the story from the victor. But then hearing, like, oh, you have to remember, like, these people don't know what we know. Right. They couldn't see the future. It's the same thing in the the trajectory of art. So when you see Walter Darby Bannard, like, a, a, a basically a retrograde formalist in, like, the 1980s and 90s, like, writing letters to the editor about how bad, like, identity politics are. And then in a weird way, you relate to it because that's that thread has maintained and dominated your reality. You're like, oh, these problems have always existed. There's a there's a comfort there that I think is valuable. Um, there's a historical lesson there that just certain tides are dominant at certain times, but it doesn't mean that they're victorious. Right. It doesn't the mean that term. they're defeated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, th- these things are very – every problem in human culture, whether it's something as trivial as aesthetics or something as critical as war, has basically been done before under different frames of mind and different external circumstances, but the regimes, all the problems are the same. The regimes may change, but the names stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think when it comes to taste, um, that's how you know somebody has taste. If their taste is circumscribed by that very idea that, that you try not to prejudice things based too much on the moment and position that you're in. Right. You know you're dealing with somebody who's good at looking at things if they can set all of that aside as much as is humanly possible mm. in any given time. And, like, I think Sean Tuttle does that very, very well. So, like, I'm always going to be on his side, you know. I mean, I don't think the essay was a takedown. It was just a kind of, like... Hmm, why don't we do this? No, I don't think yeah. it was either. And yeah. and I should back up and say, like, I don't mean to say that. Like, like I think even Sean Tuttle posted later, like, He's this like, is no, a this generous is engagement. Yeah. And I agree. This is a generous engagement. I think that's the reason we're talking about yeah. it. It's way, If it was just some dismissal, I don't think it would rise to the level of, like, being I mean, discussable. It'd be like, yeah, it'd be like a hyper-allergic going, like, this guy's an Exactly. Asshole. And you're like, okay, you only hit, you know, a thousand words, so... And I'm only arguing vociferously against Ben Davis in the sense that he's a stand-in for, like, uh, a certain, like, mainstream mentality. It's only I... half of an idea, too. Yeah. Like, if he says it's part one of two. I can't like, wait to read yeah. the second part. I mean, yeah. he's got me excited to read that, too. It's, like, exciting that there's two uh, two voices in the world discussing, like, a meta problem. Yeah. In a, in a public forum, in an open way. Is it, like, too little too late, though? No, I don't think We've so. We've been thinking about this for like a good, you know, eight years, ten years, where we're like, why can't people just be mad? Well, I, y- you know, you know what's heartening to me is like, like I mentioned earlier, when I was in Connecticut with Ulrika, you know, we were. It was a very abstract conversation, so I couldn't summarize it, but we were talking around like the same lines in, in, in certain ways, and I recommended this David Hume thing, and she looked at her uh, audio book, you know, app. Mm-hmm. And it said, oh, my God, David Hume's Of the Standards of Taste, written in 1711 or whatever the fuck, is coming out on audiobook for the first time in five days. Oh, great. So so it's in the zeitgeist. I think it's, yeah. in, the, I think it's in the air, these questions. Uh, I, I, and I think the, the deeper philosophy of it, that's just how do you reconcile objectivity and subjectivity? Mm-hmm. We've been living under a regime for the last 10 or so years that is this subjective absolutism thing. I think Sean put that really well, where it's like you just have to let any position be equally valid all the time, except in certain cases where 
it's disadvantageous to like some certain faction and then it's gone. Nobody likes this anymore. No. We can't deal with that. But I have news for you. 300 years ago, the same like situation was going on, and somebody basically more or less reconciled this problem. Yeah. So like, it, it's not... I think, we're, I think it's just a level of like aesthetic boredom. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all just like... Ugh. We've been in this for 20 years. Again, like, you're watching Friends. Does it look that different from now? Like, the young children are like, I want to dress like that. And you're like, you want to wear structure? You look like a fucking clown, you dumbass. And the people who are manufacturing it for them in their way are like, yeah, we can do that because we actually live through it. But, you know, this is not, you know, a level of nostalgia that I have to mine hard and do research on because I've lived it already. Like, yeah. it's just it's yeah. the the closed circle of repackaging just gets tighter. And, like, it's good to see that in the world of thinking people were like, hey, 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 hey. You're making a funnel. Right. You're going to collapse time in a certain regard. Time, taste time. Yes. You know, you can't do that. What the fuck are you doing? Stop it. I mean, part of it is because, like, you have accelerationist thinking that's just like, mm, fuck, fuck all your jobs, you know, at a certain point. Like, we'll just AI everything and everyone's like, mm, eh. you know. Well, I, I think, think I think there is a tie there that I can't quite, you know, spin the thread on. Um, uh, maybe, on, but you know, maybe let's try to, as much as possible, continue it into the after show because we're at our hour. But oh. like, I, I was, I was thinking along the same lines as you were talking, which is just, I think, I think there's a lot to this. We're at, we're at a really peculiar moment where even just three or four years ago, the idea of the great stagnation in this, in this sense, where you look around the room you're in and if you subtract all the screens how do you know you're not in 1970 mm-hmm. right like you know or the famous peter Thiel line of like we were pl- promised flying cars and all we were given was 140 characters like that was in the zeitgeist for a second and then covid happened and now we're in this weird situation politically and financially where like we just went back to 2018. It's like i don't know in- yeah. inflation is all over the place like economic factors that people uh thought were under control or not under control the political stasis seems clownish but also static there's a lot of weird factors that i think are contributing to people's kind of exhaustion with the idea of creating funnels like i think the great stagnation is still very much there but it's been shaken up enough that people are like okay there's potential now so maybe like the ice is kind of thawing a little bit And, and and i think that thinking people uh whatever that means are a little more willing to engage with uh, heterodox ideas now. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's coincidence that like writer strike, actor strike also come into the idea of like, you know, if you want, you know, again, are you not entertained that kind of, you know, Coliseum aspect of like humanness and, thought has to be the thing because if we can program this you're all going to be bored forever and you're already bored do you want to get do you want it to get worse right and uh, people are kind of you know realizing like oh i don't want it to get worse i want to have like you know emotional stakes right i can't have jay diaz 2.0 oh god yeah (laughs) you know like i think like there's enough that like you know we don't want the you know the second graders making our television anymore we don't want like you know people just like cranking out the same shit for art's sake or for fashion like anything cultural we're just like we're fucking done like i don't want to see the same shit anymore and it's not necessarily about the new but it's like give me something different well the thing is i think that um uh, unfortunately because i think this is a real gordian knot that's hard to solve but hopefully some genius will come along and solve it or some collection of geniuses is that like all all of those factors make the original proposition harder to solve because everybody's gotten used to reacting to situations and not really creating anything no yeah yeah, which is my deep frustration at many things in life with like why are we just reacting this is stupid can we not plan ahead can we not have a thought instead of pivoting 
Right. That's a Friends reference. Pivot. Couch. Don't remember. Mm. Iconic, so. Yeah, no The Barca loungers? No, they're trying to get a couch up a stair and it's too big. So Ross just yells, pivot. I do remember that. Yeah, I don't want to pivot anymore. Yeah. Stop pivoting. Like, chop the fucking thing in half and carry it up the stairs. What are you doing? Cut the babies in two. Get Abrahamic. Yeah, I'm not really, uh, you know, and I, I have no... I have no prescriptive means to solve that, as I don't think anybody in any situation ever does. As I've said many times, and I continue to believe, uh, there will be a lot of artists in all different media from this era that are like Van Gogh level that had or Vermeer that have just been like doing their thing and have no real recognition, and it'll be realized a lot later that they were really pivotal to a certain kind of sensibility change, and th- and that's. Fine. I think Gen Z is kind of the problem with this bit. Ah, uh, that's no. f- that's not f- for you know right now. I have to think about that longer. But you know. mm, okay, let's move on. let's move on to the after, as we do. <laughs> 